Every time you say okay. Alpine, um, you have to do it in a French accent of <laughs> strengths or stereotypicalness. God, Alpine. <laughs> Give me my Alpine. I, I, I swear I'm going to like crack up at some point just from saying this bloody word. I started and finished episode 8 of F1 in Review, exclaiming that things could only get better. Well, apparently, ask and you shall receive. Not only do we see a brand new F1 race winner this weekend, but today we're also happy to welcome a brand new F1 expert to our already strong inventory this episode. Without any further ado, let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's gone into Max Verstappen! And under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's right, Tom. So joining us today for this week's episode is a fellow racing fan and 2020 to 2021 station manager of the University of Southampton student TV network, CCTV, Tom Usher. So today we have two Toms on the show, which I'm sure won't get confusing at all, bearing in mind this is an entirely audio-based podcast. I guess we're going to need to invest in some sort of buzzer system to let the listeners know which Tom is which. So, Mr. Usher... Turning to the race itself in Monza last week, starting for the benefit of the listeners, could you summarise it in one word for us? Uh, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk about some racing with you. Uh, one word, different, I think, could sum it up quite nicely. A lot of stuff happened that we wouldn't normally expect, I think, in a race in the season. That's absolutely right, and I think uh, Tom... Original Tom. Let's call him Cool Original Tom. Oh, I like uh, had it right uh, in the in the introduction there. Ask him, we, we shall receive. I think we're going to have to start asking for a little bit more from uh, Formula One. So there is so much to the Monza race that I feel uh, we need more than one episode to actually dive into it. But let's start on what I think is the main takeaway from the first Italian Grand Prix. Has Pierre Gasly demonstrated that Red Bull were wrong and that he is the calibre of driver? that can win races or even titles? Or is it just a little bit of a fluke for him? What do you think? Um, personally, I think it's a little bit of both. He's definitely shown Red Bull he's a driver to race for their sort of calibre of team, coming out with the win in a very strong race, uh, especially under pressure from the McLaren uh, in the final few laps. He definitely shows that pressure that's needed to be able to, to race for the, the higher calibre teams like Mercedes, like Red Bull. But also it's come from a little bit of luck. I think Mercedes having the unfortunate error of coming in when uh, the pits were closed and taking the 10 seconds stop and go, that's definitely played a part into it because I think personally Hamilton was leading for the first half of the race before the red flag. And I don't think without that, without that extra 10 second gap, there wouldn't have been any sort of chance for Gasly to come back and win it. So you say he's demonstrated that he's the calibre of driver that the, the bigger teams are, are looking for. But where does, where does Pierre go from now? I think just to keep punching out the great practices and qualifiers that he has, because at the start of the weekend, he was leading practice. Uh, actually, no, I don't quite remember that. I don't think if, I'm not sure if he was actually leading practice, but he was certainly high up there in, in, in the top numbers. Uh, he fell back a bit in qualifying, but he certainly put out a good performance uh, coming from the car. Um, so if he keeps putting up these numbers... The positions will definitely follow like they have at Monza. 
we're looking at the Alpha Tauri team as sort of in my eyes now no longer a junior team to Red Bull and, and more like a, a a sister team if you would like. Do you think there's a chance he could get back into the Red Bull? Now Helmut Marco today, the chief advisor to Red Bull, said that that just wasn't an option. So, you know, do, does Red Bull even deserve Gasly? Should he be holding out for a different team? I think there's a lot of debate surrounding this because I would personally say Red Bull, when Gasly was in the seat, were very quick to shove him out and bring in Albon, the new driver. Does he deserve to... Does he deserve? To, he definitely deserves to go back, but I'm not sure Red Bull deserved to have him back. I think they were very quick on the ball to get him out. Uh, and I think with a driver like Gasly, who's very much up and coming still, he's very much in his early days of F1. So I think for him to, for him to go to a higher caliber team... Uh, from AlphaTauri, if um, well, firstly I should say AlphaTauri are definitely, like you said, are, are a team not to be discouraged to send away a driver like Pierre Gasly. They're much a team if they kept someone like him to develop up the ranks along with his status as a driver himself. If he doesn't go to another team, but whether he should go to Red Bull, uh, I think not. I don't think they deserve him. Uh, I think Pierre Gasly should go to a team that should support him uh, and give him. The, the funding and the respect that he deserves as the driver of his caliber. Well, you say you say there the the respect that he deserves. Now, now Pierre Gasly fits into a really strange place when you look at the new drivers that have come into Formula One in the last couple of years. So you've got Pierre Gasly, you've got Charles Leclerc, you've got to some extent someone like Verstappen, another one of those younger drivers. Now, and of course, we're, and forget not forgetting that George Russell. Now, whereas Leclerc, Verstappen have come into the sport and won in what we would call the, the the top tier teams, the Red Bulls, the Ferraris. You've got Pierre Gasly who who wins in what we would call a a lower tier car, a slower car. So where do you think that places him now in, in your eyes comparing him to other drivers such as Lance Stroll, for example, who can't seem to win a race even though he's got last year's Mercedes? For sure. Good point. Um, I think we can't base all of our facts about Pierre Gasly and where he deserves to go off of this race. Uh, yes, he won the race. He had a very good race. He, he showed a lot of commitment and potential and fight under pressure towards the end of the race, which shows him as a, as a very high-class driver. Um, but if you look at the previous race, previous races in the season, he hasn't broken top six. This is the first time he's come into any sort of fight for a podium. And he's come out with a win along with a lot of other circumstances that disadvantaged a lot of other teams that potentially were more likely to take the race win. So you're saying there's luck, too much luck here to be to use it as as significant data set. I think so. I think it would be good to see where he goes from here because the next uh, the next race in Tuscany would be interesting to see where he goes there, especially through practice uh, and in qualifying to see if he breaks into uh, the shootout in, in Q3. But I think it's a bit of a jump. It, we're jumping the gun quite a lot by demanding Red Bull to take Gasly back just after this one race win. Let's let's look them. Like, let's compare him to some. Let's compare him to Lance Stroll because Stroll was given an almost equally lucky position at Monza. He had not pitted and under the red flag conditions, changed his tires and would have been leading the race once Hamilton had his. 10 second stop go penalty 
Stroll locked up, missed the chicane and lost that first place position. Whereas Pierre Gasly, he was able to hold his nerve under pressure. So does that at all change how you, you compare him to the other younger drivers? I'd, I'd say I'd say no. I think I'd, I still hold him to be a great driver. He's definitely, as, as one of the, the newer drivers and younger drivers in Formula 1, I still hold him to be really like a, a, an excellent driver um, as part of the new cohort. But the fact that Lance Stroll has just locked up on one corner and sacrificed his lead is... It's uh, yeah. It, it's it, I th- I just think it's too much to say off of one corner, off of one half second late break. It's those ability is the ability to to not you know mess up under pressure that that shows that a driver has the caliper to be well one of the greats. You wouldn't, for example, see Lewis Hamilton do something so silly. He he Lewis Hamilton very rarely makes mistakes, and the interesting thing. This time was the fact that his Hamilton's mistake wasn't unusually technical. It was on a a, a rule based error, which the team should have mm. helped him. So, you know, uh, perhaps perhaps this is just shining a light on the fact that Pierre Gasly has what is indicative of a great driver and the, the ability to to not mess up under pressure. And if you want to if you want to look at some other uh, some of the other examples when um, Pierre Gasly managed to to get P two also. Um, in the junior car, so it'll be interesting to see maybe what what happens in the future with Pierre Gasly, and I know we, you will also be uh, paying attention. But I want to move on to some other questions as well. So Monza has demonstrated the potential success in placing top drivers such as Hamilton and Verstappen behind behind other teams, and and F one heads are again proposing the reverse grid sprint race where the winning order of the previous race is flipped and the short race is conducted and the winner of that race then decides the starting order of Sunday's race. The idea being that absolute pace doesn't necessarily make a car great as teams need to build cars to fight in traffic as well as clean air, which, for example, the Mercedes team wouldn't like as their car doesn't like being behind other cars as it overheats. And we saw that Mm. in Monza when Bottas, for example, kept having to move out of the slipstream of the car in front in order to cool down. So what do you think about this idea? Um, Do you think it's a good one? And and is it time that Formula One starts trying to look out to spice things up a bit? It does. It would change the sport of Formula One, I think, as we see it now. It would definitely make races a lot more interesting. But I still think cars like Mercedes, uh, like Red Bull, would still come out on top on most occasions. You've got cars and, and teams which are losing or more regularly will come down, for, will be further down the field. Uh, I think cars like Williams uh, and, and even Ferrari now to an extent, dare I say it, are, are really losing their pace. They, they had little pace at the start of the season and they're losing it as the season goes on. And we saw that in Spa with Ferrari, the only team to come out uh, being slower than the year before, hmm. um, so I think it's it's a really nice idea to uh, to spice things up and get rate get more races like Monza where we have more of a dramatic finish, a dramatic race, something that actually makes us sit down and, and watch the entire thing. But I think we're just going to see similar results. The midfield will change a lot, and that will be something that will be even more interesting to see. See cars like McLaren, AlphaTauri fighting it out, uh, but I still think that. I still think the faster cars uh, that have been dominating throughout the season so far will continue to dominate. 
So you do, you don't you don't think that having a the Mercedes behind someone like Albon or, or Verstappen as it's is it's flipped um, would hinder Hamilton? He would have to be fighting in in traffic there, and we know the Mercedes doesn't do particularly well. But you know, I think also it could maybe help bring some life back into Bottas as well because. In previous episodes, uh, last week's episode, in fact, we were talking about how Bottas was struggling because he was getting into P2 and he was sort of becoming that position of P2 excellence. He didn't really have the position, the nice clean air that Hamilton had. But what do you think that would benefit someone like Bottas, therefore, who, who on absolute qualifying pace might not necessarily be there with Hamilton and therefore, you know, this might be his opportunity whilst Hamilton's being hindered by someone such as Verstappen to to get some life back into him. So it, it would may you know, you don't think it would bring some interest back in from that perspective. For sure. It definitely would. We would see a lot more of a fight within the Mercedes team. But I think coming into this season, Bottas was definitely primed to be that second place driver. He would, uh, Hamilton, I think has always been the driver to take the number one. He is a, a driver in his own class. He's up there with Senna uh, to be, and, and Schumacher to be one of the greatest drivers of all time you know the dominance that he's shown over the races and over the season just with the the pure raw lap time pace that he's put out he's he's a driver of a different class so I think putting him up against Bottas and, and allowing and this this new race format to allow Bottas to have more of a chance of winning I don't think again would change much I think Hamilton just shows a different kind of pace compared to the likes of Verstappen Albon um yeah, I, I just, I just, I stick with my my theory that it would, it wouldn't change much. I think Bottas, it, you know, it would be nice would to it, see. Would it stop? Would it stop a one-two driver thing going on in teams? Having a sprint race where the driver who would be number two would now be ahead of number one, and therefore you would have a different working relationship. Good question. Again, not one that I feel qualified enough to predict an exact output on, but I think it would. It, it, I think especially in the midfield teams, it would definitely spice things up a whole lot. You'd see a lot more battles. You'd see a lot more strategy come into play. Um, and I think it would just be more of a fight instead of a, a strategic battle. So I want to just finish up a little bit with, with the McLaren-Renault issue of Ricardo because Monza demonstrated two things to me. One, that R- Renault is continuing on that upward trajectory. They were relatively competitive, especially in the opening lap of Monza. And McLaren was fantastically fast. As a McLaren fan myself, seeing Sainz and Norris in P2 and 3, um, and then for Sainz not to win the race was, was heartbreaking. But if you look at it from Ricardo's, uh, Ricardo's perspective, um, I, I saw that someone has stated that uh, next Ricardo's move next year would either be good or bad for his career, which is a nut, one of those nothingness statements like Ferrari strategy. Um, if you were a Ricardo right now, would you be seeing the good performance increase of Renault, but also in McLaren, for example, with the, the 2021 engines from Mercedes coming into their team, would you be happy with your decision to move? Or would you be thinking, oh, maybe I should have stayed? I think you're definitely right with McLaren showing a lot of pace, especially in Monza towards the end. Carlos Sainz showed a huge amount of pace to gain up a, a huge amount of lost time coming up to Pierre Gasly. I think another lap of two would have seen McLaren take the win there. Um, with the likes of Ricardo and his choice, I think it's it's a decision he's got to take carefully. Renault are definitely showing pace to be one of the top tier midfield cars catching up to the likes of, of Red Bull. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I just I, I I quite I quite like the fact of Ricardo at Renault. I think it's a team that suits him, um, and I think it's it's a team that they blend well together, and they've shown some good results. You know, they've come out uh, with good results the, with both cars firmly placing themselves in in, in the top ten for for most races with Esteban Ocon uh, showing potential as well. But for Ricardo, I'm really not I'm really not sure what he should do to be honest. Uh, personally, I like him at Renault. Renault is showing themselves to be like McLaren, pushing for those top midfield positions around the the P5 mark, and it's something they can definitely do, and they've shown uh, to have done. But I think, yeah, I do think Ricardo has to be careful on where he's going for for his next season. Well, exactly, and as I say, that we could keep going on about Monza. For well, for multiple episodes, late into this evening and early into the into sure. tomorrow, if we're not careful. But I think we should probably move on. Move on now. Thank you very much for for well, just sharing your your insights, really. Everyone no else worries, has had uh, eight episodes to share those uh, their own. So um, yeah, it's a great it's great to have you on the show. I'm sure we will have you back and uh, at some point to your another segment, and um, you'll be chipping in as we continue on this podcast. Tom, what's coming up next? Thank you very much, Tristan. Uh, we're now moving on to Ferrari. Returning home is often associated with the positive feelings of warmth, love, and the deep internal belief that everything is going to be okay. However, Scuderia Ferrari's return to their home, the Temple of Speed Monza, this season was never set to evoke these emotions and certainly didn't. Liv, tell us more. You're absolutely right there. Goodness me, what a home Grand Prix. And what a shame for them. So let's think about just quite what happened. Last year in 2019 at Monza, Leclerc won, as we know, in front of the Tifosi. It was his second ever win, but really the first one he could celebrate following the devastating weekend the week before at Spa when he'd won his first ever race. So that second race, the first one he could celebrate. And wow, what a crowd to do it in front of. So they really came off uh, Monza last year with a high. However, as we both know, as we all know, this year... Both cars retired from the race. So looking back to Saturday, things were already going badly before the race began, uh, with Leclerc qualifying in 13th and Vettel in 17th, uh, behind both Haas cars and an Alfa Romeo. That was where Vettel was. So, you know, they weren't even one of the quickest um, Ferrari-powered cars. Um, This should be compared to their qualifying positions back in 2019 when Leclerc started on pole and Vettel was in fourth. Um, Vettel's qualifying time this year was almost two seconds slower than last year, although we've got to remember that traffic during qualifying did not help. Traffic in qualifying was an issue the year before, actually, I think you'll remember. So, yeah, that's something interesting about Monza. That's something I like about Monza, personally. They seem to always have issues in qualifying. Um, Anyway, so poor start, poor um, result from qualifying, lining up on the grid, and things only got worse for the Italian team. Um, as we know, Vettel suffered brake failure after just six laps of the race and careered off the track at the first chicane, taking out several um, polystyrene sort of marker boards, which was a bit messy and also quite scary for a moment. I can't really imagine what it's like to be going over 200 miles an hour. Well, it might be a bit less than that if he was approaching the corner, but going very fast, putting your foot on the brake and nothing happening. Can't imagine. I get scared going 70 on the motorway, so <laughs> that must have been very scary. But nonetheless, he was taken out and he um, retired. Uh, in an interview, Vettel actually said, we're, you know, we need to understand why it happened. Fortunately, it did happen on turn one where there was that runoff space. But he said, I've never had a brake failure quite like that before. So 
just another thing that's going wrong for Ferrari. They're having unprecedented brake failures now. And I don't know about you guys, but I was sat there watching that thinking, oh my God, of course, it, of course that's happened to Vettel. I feel like the man cannot catch a brake. And that, obviously, this, the second that happened, I went, I won't, I'm not even surprised, to be honest. It's Ferrari and it's Vettel and they're at the home Grand Prix. Of, of course, this has happened. But as we know, it gets worse. Um, <laughs> they, Leclerc suffered as we saw a high-speed crash that obviously forced the team's second retirement. Um, so at the safety car restart that had occurred due to Kevin Magnussen's retirement, Leclerc was up in sixth thanks to a fortunately timed pit stop just before. However, just one lap after the restart, the Monagas driver lost control of his car at the exit of the Parabolica, I think it was, and hit the tyre barrier with quite some impact. Um, fortunately, he was okay. Although admitting the crash was his fault, Leclerc explained that the car had been already really, really tough to drive around the track. He said um, before that it was definitely not an easy race, very difficult, if anything. We were struggling quite a lot with balance. It's very, very hard to drive, but that's just life at the moment. <laughs> I just find that quote so sad. Like, that's just what it's like to be in a Ferrari car right now. And who would have thought it last year that this would be the case? Um, so these two uh, DNFs meant that Ferrari suffered its first double retirement at a home race since 1995. Vettel actually said that it was a blessing in disguise that the Tifosi were not present at the race to witness the woeful outcome. Nonetheless, I'm sure the Italian fans would have been overjoyed to spectate Alpha Tauri's first ever win with their new name and the team's second victory at Monza in 12 years, the first being Vettel's victory for Toro Rosso in 2008. On the subject of the win for Alpha Tauri and the incredibly well-deserving Pierre Gasly, who I adore and I'm so happy for, uh, we should perhaps give Leclerc credit for causing that red flag <laughs> that then produced such a spectacle of a race you know it was a contributing factor so you know i suppose we can thank ferrari for one thing um next weekend at Mugello, the um which is a ferrari owned track it will be the team's 1000th race f1 race so it's a significant celebration occasion for the team and it's not looking good coming into it so my questions for you guys is what are your opinions on the disaster that was monza for ferrari and what can we expect from them this weekend? Can you predict their race result? Is it going to be worse? I mean, it can't be worse. Is it going to be better? Who's, who knows? Yeah, it is really a, a complete disaster at Ferrari right now. I use the word disaster. I can think of other terms which would contain possibly many expletives to describe the situation. It can't get any worse for them at this moment in time. It, it, having two back-to-back -back races at two high-speed circuits, such as uh, Spa and Monza, kind of really hit the nail on the head as to how bad the situation they are in is. In terms of the next race, I'd say Mugello is it is a high-speed circuit and it does have its its straights, but it also has a, a few fast corners. Um, I'd say that, maybe I don't know, maybe like the lack of straights compared to Spa and Monza, like if you think of the deficit that the Ferrari has this year in terms of straight line speed, that might help it a little bit, the fact that there's less of those like areas on the Mugello circuit. But at the same time, the low downfall setup that there is um, that will be needed because of all the high-speed corners, many of which will probably end up being flat out with these current-generation Formula 1 cars. I can see it, yeah, again, being a, a very, very bad weekend um, for Ferrari. The mad thing about uh, last weekend was that, well, one, obviously, the Alpha Tauri won the race. And one statistic I heard was that 
um, that team, AlphaTauri slash Toro Rosso, has as many wins at Monza in the last 13 years as the Ferrari team itself. It's a pretty crazy statistic if you think about it. For a, a team, Ferrari, that's usually fighting for championships, as opposed to one AlphaTauri who is usually par sixth or seventh in the constructors. The other mad stat I heard was that the highest finishing Ferrari-powered car was not Ferrari, it was Roman Grosjean in 12th place in the Haas. I mean, I know that both the Ferraris retired and didn't get a chance to finish the race, but that really shows you how far they've fallen. It really is not a good time to be a Ferrari fan at all. I mean, yeah, we all knew that this race and the Belgium race was going to be a disaster for Ferrari because their straight line speed is just woefully slow compared to last year. I think there was some analysis done by Sky on, I believe it was Vettel's um, Q2 qualifying lap, and they compared it directly, the 2019 and 2020 uh, laps, the 2019 one being one in Q3. Uh, and they compared the two, and on the straights, the 2019 car was about half a second quicker than 2020. But an interesting thing was, around the sort of um, corners and chicanes of Monza, the 2020 car was actually marginally quicker than its 2019 predecessor. So that's quite interesting insofar that, you know, Everybody is giving Ferrari a lot of criticism and scrutiny for the poor uh, car and chassis they've created this year. But if when you look a bit deeper, they've almost bettered one side more, but then horribly lost it on the other. So it's a question for me of what circuits are coming up to how well Ferrari do. If there's more Belgian and Italian-like uh, circuits where there's lots of straights and a few corners, then they're really, really going to struggle. Um, but conversely, if there's ones that sort of rely more on on downforce and uh, there aren't so many straights, then then they'll be fine. If Monaco, for example, was in the calendar, they could get themselves a nice little result. Um, on a second point as well, I think we talk about how disastrous it's been for Ferrari on Sunday, but I think it's been even worse when you consider where Leclerc was when he crashed. He was in fourth place. Now, ahead of him, we know was um, Gasly, Sainz and Stroll, I believe the three were ahead of him at this point when he was in fourth. And you think to yourself, you think how Stroll bottled it uh, in the last few laps, and you think to yourself, well, surely Leclerc, the abilities had to drag that Ferrari car kicking and screaming up the order to, I believe, a third and a fourth place early on at Austria, a, a circuit which has many straights in itself. You think if he was able to just show a bit more maturity, as uh, Mattia Bonotto said, the team principal, if it had been a bit sort of calmer and not been so eager to get on the accelerator after that exit, perhaps he would have avoided that crash. Perhaps he would have got a great many points for Ferrari and we'd be going... Yeah, it was pretty bad, but it could have been a lot worse. We'll never know, I guess. So, as I say, next up, it's Miguel for Ferrari. And um, I'm going to make this pretty short because I've heard quite a lot of my voice so far. But Netflix is filming with Ferrari. I think they were with them on in Monza as well, which is great because that means they would have seen, they would have done like a nice slow-mo shot of, of Vettel ploughing his way through those styrofoam blocks which means that they're 100% going to use that for their intro because it looks so dramatic and hey at least he went out with style um and I was also I was actually pretty scared actually when I saw Charles Leclerc crash because when we were watching it live we didn't see the the shot from above they weren't focusing on him so it looked like he just got pummeled by the tyres so thank god he was okay and yeah, it's, it's just not really going well for them. Um, in Miguelo, they're going to be racing with a special one-off livery to celebrate their 1,000th championship. And nothing's ever gone wrong for a 
a Formula One team while celebrating their historic pride. Um, so <laughs> let's so hold on to your hats because we we might well um, if if correlation means causation, uh, be in for something similar to Hockenheim last year. So um, he's hoping for another fantastic Italian race just would hinge on a Ferrari being even more miserable than they are right now. But I suppose, as Tom said in the end of last episode, things can only get better. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that's being said. Uh, I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record here, but I think it's just Ferrari are not in a good place right now. Uh, like I said earlier at Spa, they were the only team to come out slower than they were last year, which is pretty fantastic achievement, to be honest, in itself. It's their their straight line speed is suffering. Um, downforce is is average at best, and Jay again, like like Tom said, Charles Leclerc is uh, a, a radical driver. He's a he's a he's a young driver. He likes to go fast. And in a Ferrari, that's not what you need right now. You need someone who's calm, like Vettel, to, to pull the car around at a, at a high average speed and get solid places. So at the moment, there's a lot of puzzles to rework. Uh, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle, sorry, uh, to rework and put back into place. But apart from that, Ferrari are okay. Just going to say, the, the other big team I've noise. Been, like, on top of my head that is slower than they were last year was is, is Williams. So... It's like sort of William and ha- Haas. But- <coughs> Haas are quicker, I'll have you know. Haas are quicker. Are so, they? Don't you slay in their name. <laughs> and uh, we could just put Stroll in because he's not there to defend himself. <laughs> that that cease and desist letter is coming. I can just sense it. I feel it coming. Stop being <laughs> Stroll. Never. I will never. <laughs> On the 8th of May 1977, Frank Williams entered lone driver Patrick Neve in a custom March 761 in the Spanish Grand Prix, a weekend that would turn out to be the first of many for the family-owned constructors of Williams Racing. 43 years, 3 months and 30 days after this event, the Williams family would pull down the garage door on the final race weekend where a member of their family would command over their formerly family-owned business as team principal. Frank Williams, the upstart son of a headmistress and Royal Air Force officer, has had an undoubtedly positive effect on the sport we all love. Under his supervision, this family-owned independent constructors became the second most successful constructors team of all time, having won nine constructors championships between 1980 and 1997, a sporting achievement that remains intact today and has only been bettered by Ferrari. Frank has simultaneously designed the right cars and often hired the right drivers during multiple drivers' championships, as demonstrated by Williams also winning seven individual drivers' titles under him. Nevertheless, in spite of their once great success, Williams have faded over the last 20 years. To put it plainly, the team hasn't won a drivers' or constructors' championship since the millennium. The last time they won a race was back in 2012, and you have to go all the way back to 2003 to find the last time that Williams won multiple races in one season. Despite the team's two-year resurgence between 2014 and 2015 under the leadership of new team principal and daughter of Frank, Claire Williams, where drivers Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas were able to deliver two third-place Constructors' Championship finishes ahead of Ferrari in 2014 and Red Bull in 2015 respectively, the overall trend shows us that Williams have steadily fallen from first to last in the Constructors' Championship since they last won the thing in 1997. 
And the last two years have been, well, to put it plainly, tough to say the least for Williams. They've ended a race no higher than 8th place during this period and finished plum last in 2018 and 2019 Constructors' Championship, with a set to be repeated this year. Things haven't been much better off the track as well, with Williams posting a £13 billion loss for the 2019 financial year, event which eventually forced the Williams family to sell up to Derilton Capital only a matter of weeks ago in a deal worth, apparently, £200 million after their own internal strategic review of how they should move forward in the sport. While Claire's expressly stated that the team's new US-based owners wanted her and her father to stay on in their current roles. The 44-year-old stated, With the future of the team now secured, this feels like the appropriate time for us to step away from the sport and ultimately, by extension, a team that they no longer own. So a question for you all, just one today, and that is, uh, after all this time that the family have been involved, they, they are now gone from the sports, but the name and the team of Williams remains. What are your thoughts on Claire and Frank's swift mid-season departure from the sports, and do you think this will have an effect on Formula One now and moving forward? I think from a, there's a couple of perspectives looking at this, I think as a business perspective, it's definitely a right move, if possibly a late move. Uh, Williams have been suffering for a long time under their now previous management, so for all aspects of the team moving forward, I think it was a good thing that they left. Uh, but from a historical, uh, from an iconic point of view, it's a very sad time. Frank Williams built up the, the the legacy of Williams to be a very successful team. And sadly, over the last few years, it has not done as well as previous years, or not even close to as well as it's done in previous years. Um, but I think overall, it's a right decision for the team and it'll be interesting to see how the Americans come in and change change the Williams ways if there are any changes at all. Well personally for me it's a great loss not having Claire you know in the paddock in that role anymore what an inspirational woman to be the only female team principal and obviously she'll be greatly missed but I'm sure the family will stay very heavily involved even if it's just visiting races and and just enjoying enjoying the experience and supporting the team from home I know she'll still be around but yeah what a shame to see her gone from that role and I do hope we see more women in those key roles in the future but yeah of course I'm sad and I think that the history in particular is something that is the most upsetting part and it's something that we everyone will remember and everyone will cling to and it won't be the same anymore but as Tom did correctly say there financially it was the right decision and obviously as well we've got to think about what Claire and Frank want themselves it's such a burden you know to have to be in this role and there's a lot of pressure on their future family to continue it if that's what they wanted so I think really it is nice that they are able to get away and live their lives and enjoy family time but selfishly, of course, we're gutted. Um, but I really am looking forward to seeing where the team go from here. Just just because Tom did such an excellent job of, of summing up Williams and clearly we're all gutted, I think it's also important to just highlight a little bit on the other, other side of the coin. And that's William, Williams has been plagued with mistakes throughout its in, it, well entire existence now, I suppose we can say, as it was managed under Fre- uh, Frank and then sort of under Claire, uh, these these mistakes go back to not f- failing to sign, for example, Nigel Mansell and just letting him bow out and and leaving the sport because Frank and him couldn't agree on how much to, um, to pay him. And 
also uh, Adrian Newey when he was in the team as well. That wasn't that didn't do go particularly well either. And then when he went when Adrian uh, Newey went to McLaren, he really hit the ground running there. So that was a as a mistake. Also, let's not forget more recently Claire failing to get the car to Barcelona, and as much as the Netflix documentary and whatnot might well put the blame on engineers or, or other managers at the end of the day that the buck stopped with her and unfortunately it's so sad because I we love we love Williams but they have been so unlucky historically and doing things like turning down as well Mercedes technical assistance um, a few years back because they wanted to go it alone and of course we're now sitting here at this really strange crossroads where you got the exit of the of the legacy family in Formula One but then we've still got the Williams brand now managed by hopefully a a company with engineering experience that can not make the same silly mistakes and perhaps this will benefit Williams perhaps they need to get out of uh, the sport and allow the the Williams brand to be taken over by someone who has fresh ideas and without any of the the pressures of of the past because there's nothing worse when you're at the bottom being reminded especially for Claire being reminded that in your dad's day it was much better yeah it is it is very sad that the the a member of the Williams family um, will not be a part of the team anymore um Obviously, the fact that there's, that there's been at least one there for 43 years is a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement and a phenomenal commitment to Formula One. Um, but I'll be honest, I think we all saw this coming once the team was sold or once the announcement was made that the team was going to be sold. Um, you kind of figured that after the lack of success there'd been in the last few years that Derilton, uh, the company who's taken over Williams, would want to maybe start of start afresh with a blank canvas with its own people in charge maybe or or sort of promote people from within the company in other words getting rid of um claire williams and and also encouraging frank williams to finally let to let the team go um does not make it any more sad though um all this i mean I guess for us, the, so the the heyday of Williams was before any of us were even born, let alone uh, watch Formula One. And the, w- w- the time that we've been watching it, Williams have been sort of more stuck in the in the doldrums. But still, just uh, just the the prestige that, that name holds, uh, just being on the F1 grid, is quite phenomenal. Um, and if the sort of the Williams family letting go of control, if that led to a name change or something like that, it would be very sad. To see that name disappear off the grid. Of course, we hope that doesn't happen, and we hope that the Williams name or the team can be brought back to its heyday with the Williams name still in existence. But um, I guess we can't really expect that now that the team is under new ownership. But yeah, it's still it's it's a very emotional weekend. Um, I'm sure for many Williams fans and for F1 fans that that family will no longer be involved in the day-to-day running of the team. Also nice. Claire got um, gifted a wing, the front nose. Yeah, it was so sweet. Or the 2014 car. Was that the last time Williams was great, 2014? Uh, If you listen to my introduction, yes, 2014, 2015. So so they did give her... No, I was just checking. They gave her her the last car that was good. Isn't that... That was the the last car, Williams car, that got a pole position, right? You know when they got one in Austria? 
Because if Felipe Massa got a pole position, I think you're right there, lad. That might that might be why. It's almost like they've been running out the front wing over the last three years. <laughs> 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 I wonder how much faster the Williams car would be if you just strapped that on the front of it. <laughs> My God, it's half a second quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Can, sorry, but just before we go, is what do, Alpine? Sorry. Yeah, before we go into Alpine, is. <laughs> Can someone just clarify, is the last person to get on the podium for Williams Lance Stroll? Yes, I think so. Ugh. <laughs> An unfortunate fact. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be the same when there's a team going around the field called Derilton. I just can't. We're going to have bloody Derilton. We're going to have Derilton and Alpine. Is Still called Williams, Dad. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I don't know. I think they might change the name. I, th- I can see oh. it, personally. They, 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 they cannot change it. Oh, God, it was. It was um, Ricardo yeah, 1, might. Bottas 2, third stroll. Oh, because didn't Bottas <laughs> overtake him literally on the final, like the yeah, last stretch? The, the, that was a great race. Came down to the right at the awesome. end. I remember that because Stroll in his first six or seven races was genuinely atrocious. Like he was getting slapped <laughs> by Massa, who was like 38, and then all of a sudden he got a podium. Hey, I'm saying, <laughs> I think he's all right. The first few races of this season, he's not been very good. Now he's on the podium. Maybe this he should have won that race. He bottled that. He, he that start, he bottled it. But I'm it sorry. shows you he doesn't deserve to win, though. This is what I was saying when we were talking to to um, new and improved Tom. Um, well, uh, fine. <laughs> Different recipe, Tom. <laughs> that, that a great driver isn't necessarily being lucky to be first. The the great driver is the driver who capitalizes on being first. And when, dear listener, we have a Formula One chat, as you could probably imagine, where we we fight during the the races about what's going to happen. And we successfully predicted, or I successfully predicted, that Lance Stroll was not going to retain his first, his his first place position because I think he was looking at him he was sweating and scared getting into the car and this is why I think Pierre Gasly I rate him now higher than Lance Stroll because both of them were giving equal opportunities in fact Stroll had a better car we must admit that and Stroll bottled it which is what I think his downfall will be like I joke that he's a rubbish driver he's clearly not but what, what apparently he can't do is handle the pressure while Renault's F1 car will remain unchanged until 2022, their name will not. Angus, tell us more on this. Yeah, so Renault this week announced a name change for 2021. There's been quite a few name changes in recent recent uh, months and years in Formula 1. We've got the Racing Point team changing to Aston Martin. We've got the former Toro Rosso team changing to Alpha Tauri. We had Sauber changing to Alfa Romeo a few years back. And as I mentioned earlier, you never know, we might get a Williams name change at some point. But one name change we have confirmed is for 2021, where Renault, in a nod to a brand of sports cars that they, they hold in their sort of in their armory, will be known as the Alpine Formula One team from 2021. This also, for them, it seems necessitate, necessitates a change of livery with them moving from the traditional yellow um, livery, which has been associated with Renault in recent years, the yellow and black that looks very nice on the cars. Um, and in a nod to the Alpine company, with it being a French company, there's going to be a, sort of a nice tricolore on the uh, on the cars. Uh, the red, white and blue, of course, famous for being the French flag. Um, this will be of much delight, I'm sure, to... Uh, French driver Esteban Ocon is currently at the team and will be racing for them next year alongside 
Fernando Alonso, who I'm sure will be hoping um, he would have maybe been expecting to come back with the Renault team, but I'm sure he'll be just as driven to uh, register as many milestones as possible in Alpine's debut season, at least the debut uh, season with that name. Um, I was looking back a bit in Formula One history in terms of like name changes, etc. And what is very, one very similar sort of name change, which had great similarities to this one with Renault and Alpine. It was in 1999 when the Stewart Grand Prix team uh, run by the legend himself, Sir Jackie Stewart. They were taken over by Ford, of course, the major car company. And Ford saw this as an opportunity to promote Jaguar, who um, a subsidiary uh, car group that, that Ford owned. Um, and the Jaguar Formula One team was born. It'll be interesting to see if the similarities continue between these two examples with the fact that Jaguar's F1 team was in fact a complete failure with lots of money pumped into it and only two podium finishes um, acquired in the five years that it was in the sport in the early 2000s. It'll be interesting to see if um, Renault, having if it pumps more money into this Alpine team, having renamed it and trying to promote this the Alpine sports car brand, it'll be interesting to see if the similarities continue. In terms of Renault's fortunes on track, I mean, it's, it's probably a, a, yeah, a little point to say, but it might not, it won't probably have any effect on the actual like, motivation of the team, obviously, or sort of their performance on track. Um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they think that a name change could inspire them to greater heights. The Renault team, um, as a constructor, so it went through the phase in the recent years where it's gone from Renault to Lotus, then back to Renault, but the team itself has always been based at Enstone in England, so the Enstone team, you could call it, hasn't stood on the podium since Belgium 2015 with Romain Grosjean, a very, very long time off the podium for a team and a sort of the Enstone team uh, group thing who are historically very uh, used to being on the podium and having success when it's been in Formula 1. The name Renault itself as a, te as a team name has not been on the podium since Malaysia 2011 with Nick Heidfeld, so who knows, maybe they think that it could spark a change in fortune at the same time it could simply just be a chance or what Renault see as a chance to promote this sports car brand um, get it some promotion get some more sales from it you could argue it shows maybe more of a commitment to Formula One at least the announcement about the team name wasn't an announcement about withdrawing the team from Formula One um, which Renault sort of there's been a threat of that in the last few years um, as they're sort of as they pump huge sums of money into the team the performance hasn't been up to scratch in response but overall we'll have to wait and see if this name change can inspire Renault to finally reach those that podium that sort of the third step and eventually they hope up to the top step that um, as I mentioned have been so elusive over the last few years it's been a long time since they've tasted that champagne um, and maybe they hope that this name change will bring about some sort of change on track but at the end of the day we'll just have to wait and see what the performance is like in 2021 but it has been confirmed at least new livery and a new team name for Renault. Welcome to Formula One in 2021 to the Alpine Formula One team. I don't have any questions, so feel free to just say, I don't know what you, what, I don't know, say something like, oh, I love the name. Congratulations, <laughs> Alpine or something. Well, I do love the name, okay? I do <laughs> love the name. I like Alpine. They, people laughing about them not having a racing heritage. They, do. They have a, they're a very old company, 70-something years old, and they have a great car, called, uh, current car you could buy for just over £40,000, so it's the A110, and I think it's I think it's fine that Re Re Renault are changing their name. It also makes it easier to sell if they need to sell, and something that um, 
that I was I was thinking to myself, it's an original thought, is is that Renault might actually want to sell the team at some point relatively soon. Bear in mind they're having some financial problems and it being directly attached to the and the, the Renault uh, team being directly attached to Renault is going to make that difficult because the next team has to come in and then uh, sort of break those shackles. And so renaming themselves to Alpine means they'll be able to sort of get rid of the team if it doesn't work very well. But also, as F1 fans, we like a bit of a shake-up. We do like the, the team names changing something a bit more historical. And there will be something nice about having Aston Martin back in the in Formula 1. It'd be nice having, you know, I know Renault's classic in itself but yes it would be quite nice having alpine there it would be nice if we had alpine and renault i think if if in the perfect world we would have had a sub team to renault called alpine which perhaps would have made people slightly more happy so um maybe that's food for thought in the in the future but yeah you know we got now alfa romeo back in as well and people like ferrari so yeah it's good to have some history there uh, i i just wish we had lotus back because at one point in the sport, we had two Lotus teams racing at the same time, which gets confusing. You should read about that if you don't know about it. Um, and so I, it would be nice to have Renault still in the sport because I do still love the Renault name. But Alpine's a, a great brand for for little sports cars. And oh, they just they have a little something like Lotus-y about them. Do you know what I mean? You know, I, look, I look at them like I like Lotus, which means I just I just want to like them. I find it incredibly bizarre that Renault will no longer be in F1. Um, yes, they're rebranding and, of course, the people, I imagine, will remain in their current roles. And there shouldn't be too much of a shift. But, yeah, we, we spoke previously about this Renault upper trajectory. But as you were saying, Tristan, if they're changing from Renault to Alpine, doesn't this sort of give the impression that they want to potentially do the next few seasons on the budget of a 10 pence piece and a half packet of hobnobs, you know what I mean? Um, it seems a bit concerning to me that they're not putting their money where their mouth is, especially after they consistently boast that, ah, oh, yes, we are Renault, we are one of the biggest European car manufacturers, we have a good budget, and then the money's not being given that. I, I get that COVID's affected everything that's going on in terms of cash flow and money available, but if I was a Renault fan, or if I was a Renault driver, it doesn't give me the best vibes moving forward. I hope I'm wrong. But that's my that's my gut instinct there. I absolutely loved your accent there. Terrific. It was spot on. It was spot on. Um, I <laughs> I honestly don't have much to add except the fact that I'm kind of sad that we're losing the yellow. I like it. I feel like I'm done with blue cars, well, and they're all gonna... classic. They do have a classic it, yellow and black. Yeah, livery. but the picture that the picture that they posted it was like I know they're not that's not necessarily the livery, but it was like blue, red, and white, like the French colours or whatever. But I'm. I think it's absolutely great when you look over on the grid and you've got those. You've now got that pink car and you've got that yellow and you've got that papaya orange with the McLaren. I can love it. And I think another like you've got the blue from the Williams. You've got a bit of blue in the Red Bull. Like I'm, we don't need any more blue. I think it's it was really exciting having that color. And that's for me. They're one of the most annoying things that I'm gonna miss. And also, yeah, just the name like Alpine, like Renault. It's Renault. <laughs> for me, I'm not loving this change. But obviously, yeah, if it's the best thing for the company and for them to stay in the sport, a hundred percent. But Yellow, black and yellow. Well, live next yellow. year we won't have Sorry. the pink either. Are we not? I believe Aston Martin won't be going pink. What a huge oh, yeah, loss! So I like going, the pink. They'll be going British like... racing green, which in fact we haven't seen for a long time. True. Yeah, true. I think but it will look nice. 
see just I like I think it's nice just seeing a ray of like a rainbow colours when it's on the grid and soon enough they're all gonna be the same colour, do you know what I mean? It's boring. Do we think Mercedes is gonna stay black for next year? They oh, should. I think it's it looks so, so nice. I would be surprised because they are nicknamed the Silver Arrows. Yeah, but they can still be the Silver Arrows and not be <laughs> yeah, but it's such an such a nice. Can delivery. they? Yeah. It's such Do nice red bananas exist if they're yellow? <laughs> but you get what I mean, don't you? You can't be called a Silver Arrow or part of the Silver Arrows team if you're now Black Arrows. You, you, I don't you know just what you can't. Mean. Well, why don't it's they, like so a they can just silver, put a little though, Silver it? Arrow on the side of their car? What, just write Silver Arrow? No, no, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a, a nickname, you know. Ferrari yeah, but it's because their car's the silver, isn't it? Their car. They'd still be Ferrari and be called Prancing Horses. They didn't, you know, but there's not a colour in there, is there? No, but it's, it's just, it's, you know, then it's the Silver Arrows is more than just the livery. It's, it's well, the it's, speed. And, yeah, it's, yeah I true, am but... speed. <laughs> I think it's quite integral, but there we go. What was Renault's Nino? We've got silver arrows from Mercedes. What's Renault? Just... I don't know. The Hornets. Uh, <laughs> I just like the yellow. The Hornets. Yeah, I love that yellow so much. I'm a big fan as well. well I they nicknamed the Great Appealers. Uh, what, because of banana? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, actually, yes. Oh, man. I was just on a double-edged joke. What's that about? Sorry, yes. Appeal is because, you know, appeal process and peel as in the fruit. Anyway, oh, whoa. Uh, Massive. Well, cause, I, cause Renault, yeah. Renault, Renault's livery is amazing because from different angles, it's different colours. So from the... I want to say from the side, it's black. From the top, it's yellow. And then when we see it driving around, it's black and yellow. So whoever designed it deserves a, a, a pay rise. Great job. But we're losing it, so there we go. But we get Alpine instead, and Alpine is better, uh, just as good. I wouldn't say it's better, I wouldn't say yeah. I would better either, though. This is the thing. I want to love it, as I say, because it's like Lotus if and Catrum. It reminds me of Catrum, actually, more than Lotus, perhaps. Oh, and right. um, yeah, that's true. And, there, and therefore, there's that something really nice about a small team in Formula One, because, I, I don't know, Formula One to me is a bunch of guys in a shed knocking together a car and seeing how fast it can go around a track and when we hark away from the biggest car company in Europe and back to a a company that one would associate with a soul that may be why Ferrari is so popular still and it, it, it just sends us back to classic F1 even if it's just a, a pseudo feeling that's, I think, why I support it so much because I like Renault, but it doesn't have the soul of of a car, a little car company called Alpine, which is named because the bloke who invented, who came up with it, liked the Alps. That's coming new every day. And so ends another episode of F1 in Review. Thank you, dear listener, for once again tuning in. We have spoken about a vast array of topics, as always, but with a new guest, Tom Usher. Thank you very much for coming along and giving your insight and expertise on the topics today. Uh, For those who have forgotten, of course, it was Tristan and Tom who opened the discussion here talking about the unlikely victor of Pierre Gasly and the chaos, the the different, as Tom said, Monza Grand Prix of 2020. 
secondly, we went on to the woes of the Prancing Horses Ferrari. We knew that it was going to be awful, and it certainly was. Qualifying was an absolute disaster. Couldn't even make it into Q3, smashing all sorts of horrible records there. And to make matters worse, two DNFs for the cars due to failures with the brakes. Um, things can only get better for Ferrari, uh, and that's the truth. And thirdly, we've spoken about Williams. The name remains, the family does not, the team goes on under the jurisdiction and direction of Drilton Capital. No more Frank, no more Claire, but we'll have to see whether that's a hindrance or otherwise for Williams moving forwards. And finally, we've just ended there talking about Renault F1, or should I say Alpine F1, as they'll be known for the 2021 season. The chassis and the car will remain the same as are the rules and regs, but the name will change to something radically different. And there concludes episode 9 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much to Tristan, Tom, Liv and Angus for their expertise today. I said things can only get better. They have this weekend. Hopefully, this is the new normal. We'll catch you next episode. And the crowd cheers.